0: Welcome to Words, Wobbles and Wisdom, an honest and fun body positive podcast by me, Anne-Marie Miles. Are you struggling with your weight? Do you wish that you didn't think about food so often? Are there days when you'd wrestle a toasted sandwich off an alligator? Well then this might just be the podcast for you. I share my story, a lifelong battle with weight, food and mental health struggles. I share it alongside some of my writing on the subject and some of the wisdom I've gleaned from my life as a Christian. So join me for this week's episode of Words, Wobbles and Wisdom. Hello there, it's Anne-Marie Miles and welcome, welcome, welcome to this week's edition of Words, Wobbles and Wisdom. If this is your first time to listen, you are very welcome to join me. You might want to go back and listen to one or two to get the gist of why I started. The podcast is just over a year old, so it's kind of developed in some way. And we've had a few few guests along the way. And I would like to have some more guests. And it's lovely to have you listening. Thank you to those who listen every week and send me a message telling me they're enjoying it. And there are one or two who don't enjoy it. And they're very honest with me. (laughs) It's good. You know, it's, it's good for the sanctification that people are honest. And some people, I appreciate those who got in touch with me last week. I do apologise to those who signed up for the mailing list. I know you haven't heard much from me in a long time but I've been moving the mailing list over to a new system changing some info on the website changing the design just a little bit so I know I'm a little bit behind being in contact but I will be in contact soon. If you haven't joined the mailing list you can go you can go to annmariemiles.co.uk If you are happy to trust me with your email address I will be sending you a recipe for lovely low-carb so I will be emailing out in the next week or so, so keep an eye on your inbox for that. So if you saw the advertisement for today's show, you will have seen that I will be talking about the embarrassing moment that I met Rosemary Connolly some years ago, but before that I wanted to read you some of an article all about music. Have a little listen to this, I just thought this was fascinating. When it comes to your taste in music, the soundtrack of your life is curated by neuroscience and your environment. It says most people have a favourite song. What's yours? If you think about it, there's a good chance it transports you to a memory of a time and place or maybe a person in your life or an experience in your past. Music probably also makes you feel good. We don't all like the same tunes, whether it's Bach or Beyonce, experimental jazz or acid rock. What do we know about how our tasting music is shaped? The answer lies somewhere in our brain, our environment and in our culture. We tend to be mad for nostalgia for a reason. Hearing the opening bars of a theme tune from our childhood is like instant time travel. Whether it's the opening bars of M.A.S.H. or the Rembrandt's I'll be there for you might give away when you were going through your formative years. Neuroscientists for a long time have been fascinated by the effect of music on the brain. Our environment and exposure to our earliest influences when it comes to sharing our taste in music, says a PhD researcher in UCD School of Music. Naturally, your parents would be the first arbiters of your taste. Adolescence is where a lot of the research lies because that's where we start to form our own identities and break away. It's kind of like nature versus nurture. We start to nurture our own taste. It's perpetuated in every teen film we've ever seen. With the heavy metal crowd or the cheerleaders listening to Britney Spears, music helps socially for teenagers to navigate their world. We use music to show the world who we are and also who we want to be. Music has a social navigation too. It's quite interesting. It helps you find your people and also assert yourself and how you want to be seen by others. It's the idea of music as a badge that you can dis, dis- and you can display it in your style and your fashion. Between the ages of 10 and 30 years of age are the most critical period for forming these autobiographical memories. And music is pretty unique in that way. It can create this flashback effect for people. When it comes to taste, it comes back to nature versus nurture. I think it's a mixture. I think culture plays a role. Personality plays a role. And our people our peer group, our families and the experiences that we have, said Dr. Catherine Jordan, who's the senior Atlantic fellow at the Global Brain Health Institute, Trinity College, Dublin. So many different factors really influence our tastes in music. Now, first of all, you might be wondering why I read that article so clumsily. It is because, and no offence to the person who wrote it, but it was really badly written. Like really badly written. Those sentences I was reading now—that's how the article read. Slap on the wrist for the R T E website. They'll send you a link to it in the info about the episode. But slap on the wrist for the person who uploaded that episode, or did you just get the com- get the computer to do it? Whoever it was didn't check to see if the, the sentences were properly put together. Honestly, RTE, you can do better than this. But the point I'm making about the article is that I think music is powerful in invoking memories. I mean, sometimes a song comes on the radio and you think, oh, my goodness, I'm sure you've said it yourself. Oh, it takes me back, back to there, to that school disco or the night out or that wedding. I just think it's fascinating because the article goes on to talk about music in the work with dementia patients and in the work, how even if they don't recognize their own families, they will remember key music in their lives. I know a wonderful lady. She's so lovely and she suffers with dementia. And I I know she doesn't know who I am anymore. But up to very recently, she would come into our church hall, sit down at the piano and play the most beautiful music. Absolutely perfectly. And then she would stand up after playing and she she wouldn't even know who we were. Like I've seen firsthand that example of how music is so powerful, even for people whose cognitive ability is not great. Bless her. She's she's lovely. Now, the second question you may be asking is, why is Anne-Marie talking about this subject on Words, Wobbles and Wisdom? Well, sometimes I do like to concentrate on words. I like to talk about my writing and think about my writing. I'm trying to finish a book at the moment. And music is so powerful and and writing good lyrics and writing good music, I I think it's just wonderful. And, And in fact, the studies that have been done, they're just proving really what we've always known to be true, aren't they? That music has such a powerful effect on our memories. And music can really be emotive. I'm like singing songs in church, singing about the love of God and the power of God. It is so emotive and such a powerful thing in my life. But you know, it's funny. I know a couple of people who don't like any music at all. I think two people in the whole world I know who don't like, they're not interested in any music. They don't listen to it, don't care about it, like no music at all, no music whatsoever. I'm like, what? Where's that bit of your brain gone? But apart from those two people, the range and taste of music is like she said in the article from Bach to Beyonce, just absolutely amazing that the breadth of music, like you've got the seven notes, you know, Do, Re, Mi, Fa, Sol, La, Ti. And then Do is the eighth. And then you've got a few sharps and flats. So that's 12 notes and the amount of the amount of different things that have been done with those 12 notes. Absolutely amazing. I've got my writing head on today. I just love that article. I thought it was wonderful. It's just a terrible shame that it was so shoddily written. Anyway, this week on Words, Wobbles and Wisdom, I did think I I would tell you the story about meeting Rosemary Connolly. It may be that I've actually told the story already, but there isn't an episode called The Day I Met Rosemary Connolly, so it may be somewhere there in the history. If you've heard it before, feel free to jog on. Well, walk on. Nobody, Nobody has to jog listening to this podcast. But the day I met Rosemary Connolly, so I was working at an event which Rosemary Connolly was speaking at. And I was on the door of the event and I knew she was coming. I was bracing myself for it. So I'm standing at the door and the other person who was with me wasn't my size. I was much, much bigger at the time. But the girl I was with was no way near bigger than me. But she wasn't a skinny mini. She would have said herself that she needed to lose weight. So we were discussing the fact that Rosemary was going to be speaking and we were getting ready and setting up, doing all the registration badges and all that malarkey. And we're having a good old giggle about what to do while Rosemary's speaking. Should we sit, be sitting in the back row eating cream cakes? And so we're standing there laughing away, chatting about, you know, So we're st- at this reception desk and we can see her. The front of this building is just a wall of glass and we can see her walking across the car park towards the building. And she just, as she always does, looks fabulous. She's beautiful, beautifully dressed. Her hair was perfect. Everything about her, the way she walked, the way she carried herself, you know, she just looked amazing. She walked towards the door and (laughs) I don't know what made me do it. As she opened the door, I turned to my friend and went, suck it in. So, <laughs> and I, went, ah! I kind of uh, the, did the fish thing with my cheeks, you know, sucking it in the cheeks and held my cheeks and held the stock in as much as I could. I like, hello, how are you? And she went, hello, ladies, how are you? And she glided past us because we had done such a great job holding our stomachs in I was thinking oh, she's not going to recognise me if I let my stomach out I had to go back in to see did she need anything oh, for the rest of the day I was I was, you know the way hold, holding my stomach in as tight as I could I'm trying to, trying to suck in the cheeks you know so I was going to go um, do you need anything can I get, can I get you anything well, Rosemary Is there anything i can get you <laughs> do you need do you need a coffee would you like a coffee so my friend went off and got her a coffee anyway i'm standing there and my friend comes back with the coffee and my friend who is a normal person so she didn't hold her stomach in said do you take sugar in your coffee and i went don't be stupid if this is rosemary conley she doesn't take sugar in coffee and I'm sure, Rose, now Rosemary didn't bat an eyelid, but I'm sure she was like, what is wrong with that poor woman, you know? Oh my goodness. And the gasp of water was, I met her again at another event. And I did say, <laughs> it wasn't long after, and I did say to her, we actually met before. And she was like, did we? <laughs> I said, uh, no, I was a couple of stone lighter than I am now. Oh, my goodness. And I said, you know, something I really, really want to do something about my weight. And, you know, she was so lovely. She, you know, she recommended a particular book that talked about the type of thing that she felt would be good for me. And I had no problem with recommending a book. like if you said you like short stories, I'd recommend you my books, you know. So I had no problem with that at all. She was so nice to me. And I don't know why I thought she wouldn't be nice to me. She was lovely. We were so self-conscious. I really was self-conscious. I think part of it is, I mean, it's silly really, isn't it? Trying to, thinking that you can make yourself smaller is ridiculous. I mean, for years I tried to hide myself under huge big clothes. And like, what is the point? What do you gain from hiding? You know, is somebody like Rosemary Connolly going to look at me differently because of my size maybe with her professional head on she might say gosh I could give her a hand but I I think we notice it ourselves more and we think other people notice it more now I'm not talking about people who deliberately comment I mean I remember going to somebody's house she was a friend of a friend and I went to her house to drop her daughter back and she had just had another baby And I said, oh, how are you doing after the baby? And she said, no, I'm good. I'm good. Do you know what I really love? It's great to get back into my skinny jeans and my nice tops. You know yourself. You just love to get back into your your little clothes, you know. And then she said, oh, of course, you wouldn't know what it's like to wear little clothes, would you? I was like, oh, thank you for that, you know. I mean, I was dating her ex at the time. So maybe that's why she wasn't very nice to me. But, you know, she was being deliberately horrible. But I think most people are not deliberately horrible. Most people, you know, some people do make comments, but most people who say things are trying to be encouraging. And my problem was I used to think that anybody who said anything was having a dig. In fact, if you go to When I Made Food, the Tomb of the Forbidden Subject, if you go to that episode, which I'll put a link in the description of this episode, uh, if you haven't heard that one before. I basically talk about how anybody who spoke to me about anything to do with weight, anything to do with weight loss or food or anything. I wasn't able to recognise the difference between the people who were genuinely having a dig and the people who were concerned and wanted to help me to be better and healthier. And as I remember how nice she was, it reminds me that not everybody notices and if they do, not everybody has a negative comment to make. Some people just notice and that's the way you are. Most people are lovely. You are going to get people who are going to make comments, but what can you do? I think the only reaction that we really need to take note of is our own. In the sense that I think it's important how I feel about myself, how I treat myself, how I talk about myself, how I talk to myself. That's probably most important, apart from how God feels about me. You know I'm a Christian unless this is your first time to listen and you don't know, but I am a Christian. I know what God thinks about me. I know who I am in Jesus Christ. I know I am loved by God. My issue is me. My issue is making sure that I look after myself and treat myself as I should. So there we go. That's my little interaction with Rosemary Connolly. And you never know, maybe she will come on the podcast one day and she can tell the story from her side, which will probably be, I've no idea what you're talking about. Anyway, just one thing left to do today, Frankie. What is that about? Yes, indeed. What is that about? I had to go for a blood test this week and it is absolutely a total nightmare to get blood out of me. You'd think somebody a bit like me would have these and great huge big tunnels of veins. But I don't. A lot of the time, you know, they try and go in the inside of one elbow. Then they try a couple of times now, so there would be a lump of cotton wool sellotape down there. Then they'd go to the inside of the next elbow and a couple of jabs in there, wadge of cotton wool in there. And then they would try and take it from the top of my hand and they might get a little dribble out there and there'll be another lump of cotton wool there. I have on occasion come out with doctor surgery with two wads of cotton wool inside of each elbow. Two wads of cotton wool, one on on the front of each hand. And, you know, it would be quite impressive if it wasn't so annoying. I seemingly have not only tiny, tiny veins, but elusive veins. So so the nurse is kind of pressing the inside of my elbow. Oh, oh there it is. There it is. She goes to get the needle and the vein is gone. It disappears. <laughs> I mean, you'd think they'd be standing out like copper piping the size of me. But no. Seemingly, the trick is to drink a lot of water. So actually... I I did have a couple of glasses of water before I went for the blood test the other day, and I only had one wadge of cotton wool on one arm. Um, She had to have a couple of goes at it, but the water is definitely the way to go. But seriously, what's the story with the disappearing veins? It could be worse though, couldn't it? Anyway, listen, that's all from me next week. Thank you so much for joining me. It's been a joy to be with you. And I trust that if you haven't listened to other episodes that you might pop to annemariemiles.co.uk and click the podcast button and you could be able to listen to all the other episodes to your heart's content and catch up. Thank you to those who bought me a coffee. Buy Me A Coffee used to be connected to PayPal, actually. And somebody told me that since they changed... There's been a bit of a problem buying me a coffee, so I'm not really sure what's happening. If somebody wants, to, <laughs> if somebody wants to click the support the show button on this episode, you don't have to put your card details in, but just let me know what happens when you click support the show. Just let me know where you went up. Do you end up at Buy Me A Coffee? Do you end up at PayPal? Do you end up in the North Pole? Where do you end up if you press that button? When I click that button, it takes me to my PayPal account. So I'm not sure whether that's supposed to happen or... Somebody help me, please. Thank you to those who have bought me coffees in the past. I really appreciate it. And you know where to find me. I'm writing on all the social media. Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram. I'm writing. And yeah, catch up with me there. Thank you for joining me. It's been really lovely to be with you again and I will see you and you will hear me next week. Bye bye.